huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000 square foot showroom is Court certified, guaranteed, and in stock. Ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. Hello and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, hello everyone. Happy uh, Dome Update slash New AD eventually slash uh, Babers and Bayheim on Tour week. Yeah, some of those things. We, uh, <laughs> As always, it's been an eventful week in, uh, in Syracuse sports. It's kind of what goes on around here. Every time you think that things are calming down, there's nothing to really discuss. Um, something else occurs and stops us from talking about Tulane's new football uniforms. Are, are we not? Should I? We'll get there. I, okay. <laughs> um, so... that's, that's all I really prepared for today. I don't know anything else. Just, just read up on the new uniforms. Speaking of uniforms, and again, derailing before we even get into it, um, Pitt's new uniforms are, are, are awesome, to be honest. I, uh, I know a lot of teams, including us, are going kind of the, uh, the new age kind of Nike route and doing a lot of jagged edges and you know fluorescent colors and all this other stuff, and it seems like Pitt goes the other way, goes back toward tradition. Obviously, Pitt's script returned last year. Um, but, but the uniforms, I think, really turned out uh, nicely, and that's that's the only nice thing I'll ever say about Pitt. Uh, yeah, I think they're kind of doing that like throwback by way of like new age thing that some teams have done with. They have like the matte helmets and a couple of the other things. Like you can tell, it's it, they're definitely 2016 jerseys, but uh, the stripped is obviously like the best thing they have going, which is a big upgrade. And I, I do, I also think they look really good, which is good because for them, because Pitt's uniforms have been pretty bland for a while, I think so. Good for good for the Panthers. Agreed. Yeah, like I think bland is something that you can do if you're really good and that's what you're known for. Um, I don't think it's something you can do if you're a perpetually six and six, seven and five team. And you know that that might apply to Syracuse too. To be honest, one day uh, we we can dream at this point. Um, and yeah, I just don't think that that, that bland is how you can go um, there because. If people are looking for you on TV, and, and this is kind of like the Boise State model a little bit, and, and maybe Oregon kind of put their eggs in this basket as well, is like if you want people to notice you if you're switching channels, um, you can't be bland. Not to say that people are going to notice the pit uniforms while switching channels, but you know Boise State, they made the blue tariff almost entirely because they were dealing with you know late night games and, and, and odd channels, and the only way you were going to stop on a Boise State game when no one knew who they were was having blue turf um, that obviously worked out pretty well for them, um, as did the the quality product on the field. Um, and now that's kind of a standard bearer for you know brand through television. Um, and, and obviously, it, it's it's birthed a whole lot of other gimmicks that have gotten people to stop or, or care or, or you know commit to your school. Shout out to Eastern Michigan. The great turf has done to save that program. Yeah. <laughs> It doesn't make any sense why Eastern Washington and Central Arkansas would also dye their own turfs because their games are rarely on television. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think the, 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 the concepts yeah. afterward have missed the original point. 
Which well, people are going to do what they're going to do. I mean, I, I think those all happened like kind of soon after the blue turf, so you, you had to expect it to like a couple schools to jump in that wagon. This is fair. Coastal Carolina's got the teal turf. They're uh, they're going to be joining us in, in FBS next season. I forgot about that. Chanticleers. We have another. We have another random. Uh, Random school that we can talk about ad nauseum. Future uh, potential American Conference uh, replacement member. <laughs> Highly likely. But back to Syracuse. Um, Dan, now Dino Babers has, has had a rough go of it um, for the last week or so. I mean, finding out from the media that your boss is fired, um, knowing that he's the guy that brought you into the door, doesn't really make you feel great, I'm sure. Um, and then yesterday, he didn't catch any flack for it because obviously everyone, I think, understands Dino Babers' whole shtick. But him basically saying, if you have enough of an ego to think you deserve 44 when you walk in the door, well, we'll piss on him. Now, there's only one way to take that to me, and then that's positively. Um, I don't know about you. I'm assuming you probably feel the same way. Yeah, I'm fine with it. I mean, every everyone's going to have their own ideas, obviously. If, if it wasn't like a an issue that people had different thoughts about we wouldn't have the debate every year um i also i'm sure i'm not the only one who thought the first time i saw the the tweet with that that it was supposed to be passed like we'll pass on that kid i didn't actually think he said piss but uh he did he's (laughs) an interesting an interesting uh, turn of phrase um but no i mean i i kind of agree like we and it's it's a little bit of a different uh step back i don't know i think um with like the Schaefer regime, obviously they were pushing the 44 and they thought they had a guy in Robert Washington who to, you know, for we can criticize or not. Like he at the time was a big time recruit and probably would be the time that we would give 44 to. Um, obviously none of that worked out on either side. Um, so it is interesting to see, you know, Babers kind of taking a different approach, but um, I don't think it's going to, I don't know. I don't think it resonates as like some, a, you know, we're only going to go under the, uh, go in as the unheralded, you know, after the unheralded people, like some people kind of accuse the Marone uh, tenure of being. Um, but it does seem like more of a, you know, so there is more to Syracuse than like these three players who played 40 years ago. The brand is stronger than just 44. And he also, like, at the same time, he didn't take it off the table. He just said, you know, if if, if there's going to be a 44, he's going to have to be like a really special player. And it kind of, it almost like, he almost insinuates there that it might be a thing that's earned rather than given as a recruiting tool. So, um, I'm glad that we can always we can find our ways back to uh, the same debates we've been having for 20 years now. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't think that that anything changed for anyone based on what he said there. I know it, the debate kind of started in the comments um, today, and for those listening yesterday, um, and then faded out a little bit. I mean, for me, I think it can be used as a recruiting tool, but not for a player to be guaranteed it. I know that this was a debate around 22 as well with lacrosse. Um, Jordan Evans in particular, um, it, it's that I don't think it should be used as if you come here, you get this. It should be if you're good enough, once you're here, you can get this. I, I don't think that that's a bad way to, to use it as a recruiting tool, and I've been in that camp for a while. Um, I, but yeah, I, I think guaranteeing it to a kid to, to get him on campus, so many things can happen. Uh, the last thing you want to do is sell the number or, or potentially put undue stress on a kid either. Yeah, I can see it both ways. I mean, if if there's a kid that's like a an absolute can't miss, um, I'm okay with it because that's how it's been used in the past and that's how it was used going from 
Brown to Davis to uh, Little. But at the same time, like, you would hope that, like, I don't think the number is so powerful that a kid's going to change his entire destination based on it. Maybe it's, like, a, a cool, like, cherry on top or, you know, it, it's, like, the final thing. But overall, like, you're going to have to sell the kid in school first. And if 44 becomes a thing uh, that you can throw in there afterwards, you know, then we come to that bridge. But um, I think you have to lay a lot of groundwork before that's, like, a, a game-changing decision that, on both sides. No, I completely agree. I, I think that you know that's that's what I'm I'm finding. Maybe people are finding the middle ground more um, this time around. I think a year ago, around this time, we were talking about it. I feel like people uh, were very much you're either on one side or the other, um, and, and I feel like now you know I feel like some things have changed in the athletic program. I feel like our attitudes have changed. We realize that you know, and this isn't to, to start up this debate again, but. You know, Scott Schaefer was a very much like hardline, it's one thing or the other type of guy, and I feel like that that started spurring similar behaviors among the fan base. I feel like we've we've moved past that. I mean, Babers is still very much a it's either one that it's either this or that type guy, but not in a way that galvanizes people toward getting angry at each other. If that makes any sense, Dan. Yeah, I mean, I think he's also hasn't been around as much as long, so he you know comes in with his own preconceptions and and clearly. There have been way, way bigger things to worry about. Obviously, there was an AD change, and now there's another AD change, and he's just trying to learn about Syracuse itself. So before you start like making some grand uh, decisions about traditions, like like the Schaefer thing didn't become a, a huge story until Schaefer's seventh year on campus. Um, this is obviously Babers, you know, we're, what, in five months on? So, um, you know, maybe down the road it'll be something that we revisit more once he decides how he wants to use it as a, as a recruiting tool or as a an award or like a captain, like a super captaincy or like however he wants to do it. But um, it's understandable. I, I think no matter what he ends up deciding, I think his statements uh, yesterday, like I think they hold up. Like you, you don't want a person who is going to only be coming here for that one reason. Otherwise, you know, it just doesn't seem like it's going to work out. Completely agree. Um, so I guess pivoting a little bit uh, based on what you were saying before, um, you know, talking about the AD change, um, Sean and I obviously went into a lot of detail about, you know, the aftermath right away. But now looking forward, uh, Dan, do you have any kind of clubhouse favorite in, in terms of who you want or who you think it could be? Um, or, or do you think that that this is still, you know, something very much in the air and you're just going to kind of let it ride out? You're not even going to bother, you know, hedging your bets? Um, it's tough. It, like, it's funny. A lot of people have said it, it's – the second time we've gone through this process in a year and at the same time, the job is like totally, it, it's such a different job now because of football being changed. Um, so you have to bring in someone who is willing to uh, work with Babers as if it's their hire. I think that's the only fair way to do it because Dino hasn't done anything that um, like you, there's, he hasn't put anything, any like numbers down or anything that you can use as a determining factor, whether, you know, things are going well or not. So I think you have to come in uh, someone that'll give him a, like a complete, like I, like I said, someone who acts as if he's the person who hired Babers and judges him from there. Um, and obviously, I, I don't know if the Hopkins thing is like now, if there's any room to change on that. I, I honestly don't think there should be at this point. It's been so long with him. Um, but like all these big decisions were made in a very short amount of time for Coyle, like and pretty, you know, fairly early. And then, you know, we have, it didn't seem like a lot was happening from there. Obviously, you guys went into last week, like, he made the hire. There was the Hopkins thing, like, really early on in his tenure. 
And then we kind of just waited for, you know, games to be scheduled or all these little things that ADs do, and, and that didn't really happen. Um, so uh, it, it's just not, like, the same exact type of thing. And I think uh, if we get another guy who profiles just like Coil, I think that's fine. I don't think you uh, freak out because one guy left after 10 months when that's really not the norm with ADs. Um, and at the same time, I you know, if, if you want to go down the line of, uh, people who are familiar with Syracuse, I think that's fine. I just don't think that can be your only factor because that, like, you're limiting yourself so much. Yeah, um, I, I I concur there. I think it's it was one thing when I was hearing it from fans. I thought that it was just you know typical typical fan bubble talk. Now, and even when I saw it like creep into the media a little bit because you know Syracuse is a smaller market. You can pander a little bit. You should and kind of need to at times. We've seen what happens when you don't. Um, but but I think that now that you're hearing Beheim talk about it, now that it's gaining more traction, I, I would I would hope that Syracuse and it's 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 at times bubble philosophy about the world doesn't doesn't make us sell ourselves short. Um, I, I think that the only drawback to the job right now is the fact that you know any AD um, is going to have to wait at least three years before making a football or basketball hire. Um, that to me might be an inhibitor for a guy like Coyle who's a little bit younger um, and still wants to, you know, put his own, you know, stake down. But for maybe somebody who's a little bit older and wants to kind of ride it out into the sunset and has already done a nice job, um, you know, m- maybe this is an ideal situation. Right. It's like you just need to get a different, uh, you know, there's a different um, set of circumstances as to who's going to take it. Like you said, Coyle obviously wanted to make his mark. He did. Um, and he took over a job where that was going to be uh, a possibility. And, and it's interesting because he actually takes over another job where um, obviously Tracy Clay's had his interim tag removed, but uh, he's also a guy that you have to feel like is going to be on a much shorter leash than he might have been had the circumstances at Minnesota not changed. Um, so I, I just think people are freaking out because we had this happen after 10 months. Realistically, um, we all know why Coyle left. Uh, he left because he got a giant pay raise. Um, he's now, if I'm correct, the most the high, most highly paid AD in the Big Ten, right? Which is pretty I think crazy. It's fourth behind right, so, I mean, behind the usual giants. I think Ohio State, and Michigan for sure, and probably Penn State. If I had to guess. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, he's up there. And how many? Obviously, you know, Big Ten has its own things. It's they're huge schools. They have the uh, the big contract, but how many other schools are going to be able to make a, a, a Trump offer like that to our next AD? A, ADs don't move that as much as coaches. So, you know, maybe there are like 20 schools and those jobs open, you know, maybe you have two or three of those jobs open every year. And a bunch like, of them open the, recently. Right. So the, the numbers just don't work out to where like Syracuse is going to be targeted to, you know, have their AD poached every, every three years. Like it's just not realistic. So, this thing, it just it happened to work out the way it did, um, and I kind of get like why people are freaking out and think you just to get a, a Syracuse lifer or a Syracuse alum. And like I said, I'd be all fine with a Syracuse alum as long as they're like totally qualified otherwise, um, and you know, it just works out that way. But to make that like the first thing you look for is is the wrong way to do it. Bad, I think. Yeah, it narrows the pool. Why not look for the most qualified guy, and then if they're a Syracuse alum, it's a bonus. Um... You know, we saw, like, what happened the last time we went out to get a Syracuse guy? Like, he left after four years to go cl- coach the Buffalo Bills, and, and he'd rather, like, and he would have rather done that 
<laughs> and now would rather you know you would coach the line in Jacksonville than, than than live anywhere near Central New York again. Like to me, this just seems like we've done this before, and Marone was a good idea. But if if you're bringing somebody in with Syracuse ties because you want him to stay, like you would hope that any alum has the has the wherewithal and, and has the 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 pedigree and and success that that other schools would want him or her in this case if you're an ad like and i don't understand why we're using such a such a constrained filter when when it when syracuse prides itself on having upwardly mobile upwardly moving and successful people um you know go through its doors so, so why do we want to hire somebody who has no desire to do that exactly and, you know, it's a whole different discussion if Coyle leaves after five years, which is still a pretty quick tenure for an AD. But I don't think people would have the same reaction to the way they did. It just, the timing was, was very peculiar. He obviously had a connection to Minnesota. Um, yeah, I don't think it, it was twice the, I mean, who am I to say, but it doesn't seem like it was really the, uh, the place his family loved the most after their, you know, 18 stops in the last 30 years or whatever. But um, that was, that's not a real number, but he's been, he's been around. Um, but you know, it was just a high paying job there. He was probably more comfortable than Syracuse and, uh, it, it just happened to come up and it wasn't even like a a natural thing where their AD moved on. They had like a whole scandal and everything. So just worked out in kind of a crazy way. I don't think that should affect our processes where I think we've all been pretty impressed with how Sivarud's handled big things like this. So I would hope that he would like continue going on the path he's gone rather than change like every, um, everything he's done to this point to, you know, make these pyres and these decisions. Oh, agreed. And I mean, I think we're all noted Kent fans. I think he's, uh, I, I think he's done things in a much more efficient and better way than, than Nancy Cantor. I think he's, he's made hires better. I think he's, he's conducted business better in the fact that he stays out of the news, except when he needs to be, um, he makes strong statements and walks away. Like he does, he does a lot. Right. And I think, why people were really puzzled was because like Kent had his fingerprints all over the coil hire because coil resembled him in a lot of ways. Um, and, and it's, it's interesting that Kent would go that dire- a direction with somebody that there was even an inkling that they could leave, which makes me think that, you know, perhaps there wasn't an inkling at all. And I, I think I, I buy into what, what we're hearing around campus that, you know, there was no inkling, um, and it also just goes to show how unpredictable these things can be. Like, you just never know when somebody finds, you know, I, I hate the term dream job, but yeah, finds that dream job and finds the place that they want to land for, for 10, 15 years instead of where you are. And y- these things timing wise, I mean, based on what we've heard, it seems like Minnesota, the timing of everything that happened last summer was really just, you know, immediately after he, Coyle took the reins at, at Syracuse and, and, Perhaps things shake out differently if, if you know the, those those time frames work out just just slightly off. Perhaps he just goes right to Minnesota instead of Syracuse, but we'll never know. Um, you know, unless unless perhaps some um, some requests into the University of Minnesota for commentary show us otherwise. Yes, and this is why Georgia will we'll never find out why people come or go from Georgia because. Their requests will be buried for like three years. <laughs> Very true. Um, 
Looking at something else that the that you know both uh, Chancellor Severud and of course the new AD are going to have their fingerprints on, whether or not they were you know crucially involved or not, is the uh, the Carrier Dome. Um, well, or as the university is now just calling it, the Dome, um, based on the the release that that was kind of pushed out with little fanfare at first on Monday, um, and that is you know a two hundred fifty dollar fifty million dollars spend. Um, on a new roof, other improvements, um, especially around they're, they're attaching themselves to the American Disabilities Act, but I think it's clear that um, you know this is not just limited to that scope, but uh, it's really going to be kind of expanded into everything that we want to see um, changed and adjusted and altered um, in the dome, or at least we hope that's the case. I think for $250 million, um, you are hoping for at least some, some larger scale items uh, to be addressed. No, Dan? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the roof is huge in, in and of itself. Um, not only for just the fact that you don't have to replace it every 20 years, you get like a, I think they said 50 years is the general lifespan. Um, but aesthetically, uh, the EFT uh, material that they're planning on using, which is being used in the new Viking Stadium, like it's really good looking. It lets light in. I'm assuming there are ways to like change how uh, reflective it is and how, uh, how, much light comes through for basketball because otherwise we have kind of a very interesting situation um, or like you block, block that area or whatever. But uh, it's, it's a good looking thing. I know there Pete Salas said there were plans to somehow have it. So you could almost see into the building from, uh, from the quad. So it's like a little less closed off. I don't know if that has to do with like taking off one of the concrete sides or whatever, but it definitely seems like they've, they've kind of uh, tapped into a lot of the different, um, things people have talked about for years now. And obviously the big debate up to this point had been, you know, new stadium or, or uh, renovate the dome. Or, and if you do new stadium, do you do it where the dome is? Um, honestly, I'm kind of happy with the direction they're going just because obviously the dome's not perfect. Like the parking situation is not great, um, which leads to, you know, the tailgating situation not being great uh, and a lot of other things, but it, it's fairly centrally located. Like it's easy for students to get there, which, you know, you move it elsewhere and, and you really see student issues, which are already not great. Um, I just think, like, the Dome obviously has its issues, but uh, you are, just it being on campus is really cool, and there's a lot of advantages to that. And I, I would have been kind of disappointed to see those uh, taken away, um, even if, you know, especially when, like, the other proposals, like, putting it by the – not maybe not proposals, but the other, like, ideas people have thrown around, putting it by the fairgrounds, like, what – I get like that might be easier for some people, but if we're like coming back to campus as alumni, I don't think um, all any of us are going to want to hike over there uh, for games. Obviously, it's not just about alumni, but you try to strike a balance. And I think keeping it in the dome location and renovating the, the existing dome, and it seems like it's going to be like a, a real like big renovation where it's going to be a, almost feel like a completely new facility. I think that's all good. So I'm excited to see when the actual plans come out. Hopefully, they're uh, they're as impressive as we hope they are. Yeah, I mean, it seems like Syracuse is, is using the best in the business in terms of uh, firms, you know, Populous, uh, the architectural design firm is one of the best around. Um, Turner, they were celebrating as, as the, the firm that handled, um, what's it called, the uh, the Madison Square Garden. MSG, yeah. which looks amazing. Yeah, and I mean... If you've been to MSU recently. Yeah, Madison Square Garden looks great. I haven't been recently, unfortunately, but I've, I've seen enough games um, from the Rangers and, and the Knicks. Um, to know that it looks great. I, I think that we have some different challenges and we also have some better ones. I know I addressed this um, when, when, in the article the other day about 
um, you know, not missing, uh, well, trying not to miss, uh, you know, Syracuse football and basketball games. People seem to think this is probably going to be a several-year process. Um, I don't know enough about architecture to know if that's the case. I would assume the roof is is probably a long-term deal um, and one that really needs to be done right. I think the roof might be might be step one, and then these other elements might have to be step two. But again, this is conjecture. The university hasn't um, given us any sort of timeline, so it, it's hard to say. In any case, I think that the main issue, uh, roof number one, um, widening concourses probably number two, um, and then changing the, the fundamental aspects of the building enough that you can get out of the carrier dome deal is number three. Um, maybe you want to move that up to two. I'm not sure. Um, in, in any case, uh, I don't think comfortable seats is high on the list. But if you are a Syracuse fan who voted in a certain Syracuse.com um, poll yesterday, maybe you feel differently. It seems like you feel differently, which to me, um, you know, whatever. I, I, I think Dan and, and myself and, and Mike McAllister and others um, poured enough uh, e-ink in, in, into the jokes about raking leaves and apple picking for uh, for, for decades. Yeah, my heart sank into my stomach when uh, I saw that poll, um, and I felt no, uh, I had no compunction to like not put that on Twitter because, <laughs> and I, and I, let me tell you, like I've never had so many Clemson fans come into my Twitter feed, and I don't think they even knew I was a Syracuse fan. I think they thought I was just some random person making fun of Syracuse, and we deserved every bit of it because holy shit, come on, like. Really? It wasn't even close. It was like four, and I looked like hours later to see if it was just maybe a small sample when I looked at it. It was still like 42% thought the seats were the biggest deal and not the football team. Like, every, how many other, Notre Dame has bleachers. Michigan has bleachers. I believe Ohio State has bleachers. Clemson has bleachers. Clemson has bleachers. Like, all these big time programs, most of them have bleachers because they try to pack as many people in there as they can because they're competing for attendance records and whatnot. Seats are nice. Like, if you can do that, I'm fine with it. I, I don't think it would be the end of the world if we bumped uh, the uh, capacity down from, like, 49 to 44 or whatever. 44444 um, four, four, four is the number you're that's looking what it for. Should, that's what it should be. We should do anything we can to get to that. Um, I think that's fine if that's a, a thing you want to do. But, no, that's not the biggest deal. And and I and some one person's like, yeah, but that's not a thing you change with the dome. I'm like, yeah, but it's still on the poll. Like, the poll was different, gave you these options. And one of the options was, hey, let's get a good football team. That that should have been ninety nine point nine percent of the votes. Well, especially so, from the people that I mean, and since, complain about complain it so about much. the team being bad and saying be good and and we'll show up again. Like, okay, well, it ends up that what you really want is for the seats of the dome to mimic your couch, which you're usually sitting on, not watching the game, or even if you are, like you're probably within like ten miles of the stadium. It just there are so many things to unpack there, and I'm not even going to bother with them here because. I'm just going to go into one of those, and this goes back to what I was saying earlier about local media and pandering. We get in trouble when we don't pander. I'm not going to pander, but I'm also not going to go down this dark road um, of putting people on blast. I think that there's there's a big benefit towards more comfortable seats and a big benefit toward um, a slightly smaller stadium that maybe provides more more of a premium in-game experience. Um, but I hope people understand that with all that those premiums that they, they want and, and could potentially get here will come with higher prices um, on these seats. And God forbid you pay more than $99 for your season ticket. Christ. 
that, that's that's a whole nother again conversation around if you people can't get there at ninety nine dollars, when will you? Because I, I, I usually pay I usually pay close to that for, for some of the road games that I end up going to for Syracuse for one ticket. I may buy a season ticket just to do it and I maybe go to two games up at the dome. And like I'm happy. If if I get two games out of my ninety nine dollars and maybe I can sell the rest on StubHub for like ten dollars each, um I'd be thrilled with that. And that's probably like way over uh like that's probably way more than I could get for them on the open market. Um but like come on. Like if if you're in the if you're going to like a decent concert at MSG, you're not you're not getting a decent seat for ninety nine dollars for one one thing, one event. Yeah. And here you wouldn't have hopefully a you know if not great right away a f- more fun football team than we've had in a while, and the price point has not moved up in seven or eight years. Um, yeah, so if if it moves up if we have to pay one hundred and twenty dollars for season tickets after the dome renovation or one hundred fifty dollars, if people complain, I am going to lose my mind. Oh, but they will. Oh, they, I know they will. I'm just I'm preparing everyone. Like we'll have in two or three years on this podcast. We will just we were gonna throw like a, a, a tantrum about it. So <laughs> prepare yourselves. I would have to agree there. Um, on that note, um, Dan, what have you been drinking? I know we you weren't on the podcast last week, so you have two weeks of drinking to uh, to recap. Yeah, I actually had a, a couple interesting things here because it's been a while. And thanks again to Sean and uh, Jim for filling in on the double podcast last week. Bonus everyone. Yes. Um, and thank you for Mark Coyle for making that happen. Um, <laughs> so right after last time I was on, we spent a, a good portion of our time talking about the uh, San Diego Toreros. Toreros. Uh, the, the, the nation the nation crossing uh, <laughs> PFL Toreros. And after that, and, and we talked about how neither of us were having a fun Cinco de Mayo, I ended up actually going out after that, uh, which I did not plan on, and had a uh, Soul Style from Green Flash, a San Diego brewery, which we've talked about before. Um, Soul Style IPA, which is really good, like super floral, um, nice hoppiness, but like, you know, a lot going on there. I really enjoyed it. Um, I had a Briny Melon Dosa from Anderson Valley, um, which it's supposed to be like a watermelon beer. I'm actually kind of glad it's not that watermelony because I've had watermelon beers before and like sometimes they're just like way too much. This was like a very, very sour dose, but the, it wasn't like overly watermelony, just like enough. So I thought that was nice and refreshing. Um, let me see some other things I haven't had talked about before. I had a hop hash from Sweetwater Brewing uh, down in Georgia, if I'm correct, um, which was super, super, super like, I mean, it's called hop hash. You can imagine like that really like dank hoppy flavor. Um, quite good. Uh, let's see. I had uh, Oarsman Ale from Bell's, um, which I really liked. Uh, that was a little more, uh, I'm trying to remember what that was like. I, I enjoyed it. I didn't put, take any notes on it, which is my fault. Um, but Bell's made stood stuff, so, uh, and that was one of them. And then the other night, I had uh, a couple really interesting ones. I had um, the Freshy Salt and Pepper from Nomad Brewing, which is Australian. And it's actually brewed with seawater. Um, and you can tell, like, it's not, like, obnoxiously salty, but it's definitely, like, a salty flavor plus, like, kind of a citrusy wheat uh, thing going on, which makes for, like, a really nice, like, sweet and salty blend. Um, it's really interesting. I haven't had anything anything like this before. 
Uh, so that was that was something. And then I had uh, from OEC Brewing Connecticut the uh, their Artista Zenergia Odulis, which is an obnoxious name to try to pronounce, um, which is basically like a pretty good wheat beer. <laughs> there you go. Dan, the one week that you would normally have more than me, I had to go to a brewery anniversary party. So Actually, I, I didn't check in, but I had something from the brewery this week, too, and I can't remember what it was, and I forgot to check into it. Well, maybe I can jog your memory. I'm not sure. I, uh, I had quite a bit because the brewery anniversary party was uh, unlimited tasters, which is always a great idea, and I wish more breweries would do it. Uh, anyway. So, things that I had there. I'm not going to do everything. I'm just going to do some of the things because there were a lot. I drank like 30 different beers while I was there. Um, had Sour in the Rye with Nectarines. Uh, Sour in the Rye is, is, is one of the, the brewery's staple sours and one of their best annual releases. Um, the Nectarine version was, was equally excellent. Additionally, they had... Sorry, my... Oh, had a... Uh, Cordial BBLs, it was a blend of Black Tuesday, Tarted Darkness, and So Happens It's Tuesday, uh, with cocoa nibs, cherries, and vanilla. Um, that was pretty excellent. Um, luckily, they kept those to 1.5-ounce pours. That way you weren't going to die, because that one's probably hanging around 18 19% um, alcohol. They had, uh, they had a bunch of these that were just like kind of one-off for the event. Uh, another one was uh, Sherbert Hoover. It was a sour blonde ale with uh, blood oranges, vanilla, and lactose. And obviously, um, people who were, were involved at all in political science in college, like Dan and myself, um, can laugh about that one and the uh, Herbert Hoover pun that goes into it. We have a keen observation uh, from the Rare Barrel. And there's sour from them. Have Saison 100 from Highland Park Brewing. I had uh, Firestone released one of their Saisons um, as like kind of a, an hourly release. It was a La Picola Pepe de Sijuan was a uh, Saison. Had Windowsill from the brewery. It was a kind of raspberry and rhubarb. Um, I forgot. I think it's just a sour. Uh, had Port Barrel Age Black Tuesday, which was pretty phenomenal on, on all fronts. Um, had Abnormal Beers Year One Double IPA. Abnormal uh, just showed up down in San Diego recently, um, and they've become um, one of the uh, more standout new breweries in the last uh, year to year and a half. Had a Double Barrel Black Tuesday, so Asian Barrels and then, bar- and then Asian Barrels again, which is pretty excellent. Um, had a bunch of other things I don't remember the exact description of, but uh, the brewery's Beauregard, uh, Befuddlement, computer's lagging a bit. Oh, I had um, Vic's Secret Showers from Noble Ale Works. was uh, their latest double IPA. That was excellent. It was actually going to be on at this IPA fest um, here in Redondo Beach. So I'm going to try to drink that again this weekend if I can. Uh, checked out. A taster of uh, Let It Linger. It was a sour blonde ale with cranberries and oranges. That one's also from the brewery. Had a Libertine's uh, Pepe Le Pluat. It was a sour ale. Again, if my computer was agreeing with me, we would be done with this already. 
Oh, and then I had uh, Fuzzy BBLs. It was probably one of my favorite other ones that I drank. Um, that one was similar to the cordial one. It was a blend of Black Tuesday, Tired Darkness, and So Happens It's Tuesday with peaches, apricots, vanilla, and lactose. So we'll close on that. I like that you listed too many beers for your computer to handle. Yeah, well, for some reason, I mean, it's mostly because um, SB Nation's now going with like more rich media ads. So I usually have the uh, the noon's homepage up when I'm doing this, and because of all these like wacky ads that keep popping up, it's now decided that like my computer's decided it goes into overdrive every time I try this. Like open a web page, which is awesome. It is awesome because people are getting paid. People are getting paid on the internet. Yeah, people are getting paid on the internet, <laughs> which, which is the positive here. I don't want to don't want to hate, but on the negative side, it becomes much much harder to to open web pages. I think what's telling you is that the only web page you should have open is Troy Noons is an absolute magician. Obviously, and not even Skype because why would. Why would you want to have Skype open if you were on a podcast on Skype? <laughs> anyway. So, Dan, another thing that's kind of come up this week, and at least I kind of brought it to the forefront, um, the Big Ten ESPN contract negotiations are going on, and uh, I'm not sure it's going to happen for them, which has a lot of things that could potentially spill over for the ACC and, and Syracuse, obviously. Um, Dan, w- w- what's your gut feeling? I know all of us people that write about sports on the Internet, especially college sports, have turned into uh, you know, TV market and, and, and revenue experts. Uh, so, so, so what's your gut feeling here? I don't know. It's tough because on one side, like you think that um... – the Big Ten doing all the way with just Fox, or I don't know how else they would do this, um, would just not seem to be feasible, uh, just because, A, Fox has other properties properties already. They have Pac-12 stuff. They have Big 12 stuff. I know the Big Ten, uh, they're partnered with for the network and everything, and I'm sure they'd have the channels to make it work, but it just seems like you'd be putting all your fish in, in one barrel. Um, for, for Syracuse, I think it'd be kind of cool, because it probably means... Uh, fewer games stuck on, like, RSN um, and the ACC, uh, whatever, regional networks. Um, so that'd be great, because ESPN would have more time slots to fill, and they have the whole ACC, uh, they have all ACC everything, basically. But more noon um, games, probably, as a result. Yeah, you probably have more noon games, that's true. Um, overall, it, it's interesting, just because, like, it seems like both sides were kind of just holding serve and waiting for the other one to just be like, okay, let's just figure this out. Um... But, I mean, it also seems like ESPN's just not willing, like, they have kind of seen uh, where this, ton- this the market's gone with these live events, and I know that's, like, the one thing people think you can sell. Um, but uh, it almost leads back into that, that column Stuart Mandel did this week where he had, like, the 2014, like, Super Conference, and, and while that, I think, is maybe, like, a little unrealistic for that to be a decade from now, um, the major point behind it is he said that, you know, instead of looking for as many as many games as you can just get on TV, um, the big uh, thing people are going to focus on going forward are like the bigger games and trying to like the most uh, people watching like one or two big games every weekend. And uh, in that case, like maybe it does make sense for the ESPN to just like 
focus in like hardcore on on just getting the best ACC and SEC games, and maybe we. Uh, but either way, like it just it, it seems like uh, it'd be a, a pretty big stretch to just see the Big Ten just move itself all the way on the Fox if that's how it ends up. I don't know if like NBC or CBS would get involved or whatever, but you have to. Uh, I mean, and NBC did just grab Tarico. I don't. I to me that that was. I know, like I bounced it around on, on our Slack room and, and some other places. Like that to me seems like the 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 one that makes sense. I mean, NBC has you know Sunday Night Football and they have the Premier League. Uh, and then they have hockey as like their biggest properties, but other than that, uh, and, and the the Olympics every two years, um, NBC doesn't have a lot of like weekly standby programming. Again, also slighting Notre Dame here, so I guess they do have more than I thought. But nonetheless, you're you're still looking at, um, I think less properties on on NBC on a weekly basis than than maybe you know Fox and ESPN. Um, I know Matt Brown over at Land Grant Holy Land also floated out, uh, you know, some additional options, something like a like a Turner setup, um, perhaps CBS getting a little more involved um, beyond just the SEC. Um, there are some 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 things out there that that could develop into, um, you know, a competitive offer. And if ESPN is going to lowball, um, maybe because they they think that that if if the Big Ten thinks that Fox paid fair market value, then anything below that is going to be a low ball to them. Um, I don't think ESPN buys into that value, but that's where, you know, I got into this in the article, that that's where competitors show up um, and, and, and outbid and, and overpay for these things. I think where ESPN is is maybe looking is that they, they don't want to be seen as, or even see for themselves and for their shareholders as um, a company that's overpaying for, for all these rights. Um, and you brought up a good point there on Mandel's model, and that was, you know, get, get the highest inventory, not of total games, but, but of quality games. Um, where I really see this kind of trending, and you already saw it with the NBA this year, is, is sort of a little bit with the pay-for-play model. Um, NBA on, on top of uh, season ticket and their, you know, team-specific pass that was like 100 to 120, um, and it included streaming and everything else. Um, they also had um, your, your paper game model where I'd love to see if the NBA actually releases the data on that at the end of the year is, is, is which teams which teams had the most paid games if you were going, you know, just a per game model, I'm going to pay for just this. Um, you know, which, which games were the most bought, you know, in a pay-per-view model. I think that there's a lot of interesting data that's going to come out of that, and it's something that could potentially shape the ESPN's model and ESPN's model specifically with the ACC. Right. Yeah, the NBC thing is interesting. Would you be worried about uh, the Big Ten and Notre Dame having the same uh, broadcast partner? Um, maybe, but at the same time, like, I don't think... I don't think Notre Dame cares where it's on national television every weekend, as long as it is. Um, I, I think that that NBC has been a long-term partner that's helped it. Uh, I think I think that there, there there's a concern about about ESPN. I mean, you saw a ratings drop at the playoff this year, and and there's always that concern with 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 cord cutting and cable, and you know you don't have the same older segment of the population that only has basic channels, but you do have a lot of people that don't have cable, and that becomes an issue for putting your, your, your premier product on cable, and maybe that's something that weighs um, 
you know, Notre Dame's decision when, when their TV rights come up, and, and that is that is a concern. I don't know if I necessarily care, however, um, you know, where where no, if Notre Dame and, and the Big Ten have 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 rights in, in the same place. Yep, I, I do think the Mandel thing, like uh, obviously, it's it's super. Um, I don't think it's that out there in terms of like the line of thinking. I just think the time frame is probably a little unrealistic. Um, just as none of these things have moved that quickly. Um, but overall, I think he made, he raised some really good points. So people should go check that out. Um, and obviously that leaves a lot of questions of, as a Syracuse fan, um, being left out isn't great. I, I, don't, I don't love that. But when you're being left out, so is like Ole Miss and South Carolina and uh, like two-thirds of the existing power structure, I, I guess. I'm more fine with that. I'd love – Yeah, you learn how to cope. I'd love the prof- – like – that's the only place that I think there's a chance for the promotion relegation model to work. The problem is, like, you'd have to... The, the promotion relegation thing would work if you had, like, 18 teams that aren't going to move. And then you just, like, they they say, hey, leave, let's leave these spots open for the rest. Um, but if you have 24 teams that are all equal partners, like, no one's... Gonna, they're not going to do it. Like, it just... No one's going to want to risk... Like, like Texas. Te- there's no way Texas would be, like, cool with getting relegated... And they would have been relegated both these years, easy. So, would they though in that uh, group? I mean, I guess it depends on how you do it. Like I recommended in the comments for our own article that uh, Melissa put together, it was um, if you grouped everybody regionally in both tier one and two, and I think you stop the promotion or relegation there. I think you just have the two tiers. Um, then in that case, you just you group everybody by division. So you just have six divi- You have four divisions of six. And then the top team from Tier 2 in the corresponding division moves up. The bottom team moves down. I mean, some years well, that's going to be rough. But, but if you're facing a lot, if you're pretty much facing just people in yours, I, I, I think the frauds are going to expose themselves very quickly. But I don't think Texas necessarily moves um, as quickly as we think in that group either. I, I just mean like how Texas has been the last two years. Right. Um, well, I mean, like in, if you're going to put Arkansas and some other teams in there, I, I think that Texas sticks around more easily than we think. Mandel had Texas in the West with UCLA, USC, Stanford, Oregon, Oklahoma. Um, obviously, they beat Oklahoma, but that was crazy. Oregon depends. You know, maybe they sneaked that out if they had played Oregon when uh, when Adams was hurt. Um, UCLA, USC weren't great. Stanford probably would have wrecked them. And then if you have, like, the crossover, I guess, like, the easiest crossover division would have been, I mean, none of these are super easy. Maybe the East, Clemson would beat them, Florida, who knows, Florida State would have beat them, Georgia probably would have beat them, Miami, who knows, Penn State, who knows. So, like, that's probably the easiest path Texas would have gotten, and I don't see them getting more than, like, four wins out of that. So then in that hypothetical situation where Texas is, like, 2015 Texas and the bottom... I don't know how many you'd relegate four teams, one from each division, maybe get sent down. Like was Texas cool with that? Like, I don't, I don't know that they would be, but I, you know, maybe it, maybe it's just structured differently. Um, relegation would be really cool. I, I, I'd be with that. And then you always have something to play for where, you know, if Syracuse just gets relegated to, you know, second tier status and it's still a mid second tier with like most of the schools that are, are big time schools. And it's rivals um, by and large. Yeah. Pitt and BC then, and like, others. Yeah, I, I just like – I always like the idea of Syracuse being able to play for a national championship in football, even if it's, like, way out there. Like, I like the idea that if everything broke right, 
um, they could do it. And maybe maybe then you change the playoff structure to where it's uh, the top four from each of these divisions, or one from each of the division, and then the top two via some you know chicanery, however they do it normally, you know votes or polls or whatever. Um, but I just think I think you'd have to have some kind of pathway for teams to either compete for a national title uh, every year, um, even if it's not a direct path, or to like work their way into it. Otherwise, like you're just changing, like you're basically adding like a new version of FBS on top of what we already have. Right. And to be honest, yeah, I, I, I don't buy it ever being implemented. I, I think ProRail is always just a fun thing to toss around. I think the U.S. is too big for it. Um, I, I, and I've said this before to people. The reason college football is the best sport in a lot of people's eyes, and the reason that I love it and you love it and others do, is because, yeah, that, that specter of anyone can win is always out there. Um, and, and that doesn't really hold true for any other sport, a college or a pro. Um, I think, you know, there's always exceptions. Obviously, you have something like the Premier League, Leicester City winning, uh, bucks that trend. But I I don't think it's something you can bank on every year. I think for college football, the best part is that every game really does matter. And every game, you know, at the end of the day, like for some for some teams, you know, the the quote unquote championship for them is is winning six because they haven't done it in a while. They just want to get back to a bowl. Uh, For others, yeah, the the, the championship is, is actually winning it all. For others, it's you know, we want to get to the Rose Bowl, whatever it is. Um, and I think that all those individual championships are something that no other sport has. Um, and I think it's something that, that keeps every week interesting, keeps every fan base interested, um, at least until they're eliminated from the postseason. Yeah, I mean, it does kind of share that with the Premier League in terms of, like, obviously Leicester made that crazy jump and went from, like, you know, people thought maybe they'd get relegated this year if things didn't go well to winning the whole thing. But overall, like, Generally, teams have different goals, whether it's, like you said, winning the entire league or making the top four or, or avoiding relegation if you're not good. And it makes, like, almost, you know, the most of the table has something to play for unless you're stuck in that, like, weird, uh, like, 12 to 14 range. But, um, and college football has similar things. Like you said, you have, obviously, the rivalries are always important. Just getting to, like, different tiers of bowls and working your way up that way. Or, uh, obviously, recruiting adds a whole other, like, meta game into the whole thing. Um, but if you had, like, cut the, the wheat from the chaff and put these 24 teams in their own thing and everyone else just playing for best of the rest, I think you, you lose a lot. So hopefully, you know, I do, I do think we'll see some radical um, – over time, I think, you know, college football will look way different in 30 years than it does now. Um, but hopefully it's something that's still, like, relatively inclusive. And I know that's being kind of hypocritical because, like, Syracuse is right now a, a, quote, have team compared to, like, a – Colorado State or whoever who really doesn't have a huge pathway to uh, winning the whole thing. Um, but at least like there's still that dream where if everything broke right, they could do it. I completely agree there. Um, so I guess closing out a little bit, um, Syracuse, well, both Syracuse lacrosse teams are in the postseason right now. Um, I, I think that the Syracuse women stand a great chance of beating USC, but focusing in on the men a little bit more, if only because... Um, uh, that game is, is is going to be a lot more pressure packed and a lot more. I, I think that Syracuse is, is not favored in this one, um, and, and that's obviously going to add a little bit to the intrigue um, for, versus US, USC, where I think that Syracuse is going to be favored against them in the women's bracket. Um, Dan, do you think Syracuse stands a chance against Maryland? Yeah, I mean, Maryland's really good. Um, they've been one of the more consistent teams. Obviously, uh, they survived this weekend when, when lacrosse went crazy this weekend. 
um, with Denver losing and Yale so losing, much fun and uh, you know, yeah, like it was like the college basketball tournament in lacrosse, which was great because like usually we we maybe see one of those. This year there were like three or four, um, and Maryland obviously got by. Uh, they beat Quinnipiac um, without too much of an issue. Uh, so yeah, I mean it's it's still Syracuse lacrosse. Obviously they're going to. I don't know. I don't think anyone on this team would even have been on the 2011, right? Like, I can't imagine anyone's still around. Yeah, unless somebody was a... Uh, like no, yeah, I guess you're right. I don't think anybody could be around at this point, even with a red shirt. Yeah, unless there was, like, a weird six-year situation, I think we'd know about that. But um, I was at that game. It was as bad as everyone said as soon as we got that Maryland draw um, after beating Albany. Uh, really just awful. I'm glad it let, it helped lead to the shot clock. Where, uh, like, directly, I think the shot clock came in, what, the next year? Or it got, it got passed the next yeah. year after that and then came in the year after. Um, but, man, like, hopefully uh, Destro's been, you know, showed that DM film and been like, yo, this is what Maryland did last time. This was ridiculous. Um, let's go get it. I mean, we're definitely not, like, a huge, you know, I don't think there's a huge talent gap. Um, Syracuse won six in a row. Uh, they obviously Albany was a really nice come from behind when it's a, a really good team. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a chance. I, I, obviously they're not favored or anything, but um, I'm excited to see because the team does seem to be uh, hitting hitting its stride at the perfect time and uh, playing. A, you know, I don't know if you still call them a rival now that you know we're in different conferences, but another one of the more uh, blue bloodish teams in the country is always fun. Yeah, I mean, I definitely say that. I think Maryland. I think Maryland falls into tier two of blue bloods at this point. Um, I, I don't think that's that's really you know anything to be ashamed of. I, I think that there's a probably, I think the blue blood group is actually even in flux a little bit of late. Um, I think we're obviously still in it. I think Hopkins. Uh, I think you keep them in there. This is yeah. like they're such a big Just name. It's like UCLA is still a blue blood in basketball, and they haven't done anything in a while. So I think it's hard to lose. I think it's hard to fall out of it. I think it's it's. It's uh, way harder to get in there than it is to fall out. Yeah, I, I buy that. So, yeah, I think Maryland's there. I think that our rivalry with Maryland um, and, and lacrosse kind of, uh, you know, transcends conference lines, if only because we only shared a conference with them for, for a very short period. Um, I, I think that, you know, a, a, any of the teams, any of the teams at the top of lacrosse in particular, um, they don't necessarily need conferences to, to be rivals just because because of the nature of the tournament and the nature of non-conference scheduling, uh, I, I think that, that we, uh, we've all faced each other uh, you know, quite a bit. Um, I think this is going to be a fun game. I think that both fan bases are, are pretty pumped for it. Um, I know for Syracuse, I think for both teams, that there's a lot. You're seeing a, a lot more pressure maybe in this game than any of the other ones just because these are two fan bases that desperately need to get back to um, the Final Four uh, to feel okay with their place in the world. While I feel like the other games, you know, for Brown, it's a surprise, but it's a nice one. For Navy, it's, it's, a, it's a culmination of, of a rebuilding project um, over the Notre Dame, North Carolina. Um, I, I think Notre Dame, they, they've shown that they're, they're in there. Um, and, and I mean, they're maybe not there. They're not a blue blood necessarily, but they've shown that they can they can fight at that weight. I think Carolina is 20 years removed from their last trip to the Final Four. That's that's a vindication. But I still think the pressure and that you know, loyal to Townsend. I think both of them are, are just kind of 
hey, it's great that we got here. Um, I think for Maryland and Syracuse, there's there's just so much more uh, stress and pressure attached to it than, than there might be elsewhere. Yeah, it's one of the interesting things that comes with like the upsets is um, they're really grouped like kind of interestingly because you have Maryland, Syracuse, and then you have Notre Dame, North Carolina. Obviously, Notre Dame has been one of the better programs in the country for the last you know five six years. North Carolina is one of the bigger names in the country, but they you know like you said have won in a long time, um, even longer than Syracuse, despite what uh, the Fire Desto group will tell you. It's it's only been it's been less than a decade. Um, but uh, so you have that across the top, and then the bottom it's just like. It's like straight up bracket busters. Like Brown's been awesome this year, so it's not like they're, you know, the way they beat Hopkins, I think, is a little shocking. Throwing 17 up on the board is, you know, pretty crazy. But Navy obviously spurned the big upset, and then Loyola obviously won a title a couple years ago, but they're still, you know, they're Loyola. Um, they're a good story, but they're not quite, you know, Syracuse, Maryland, or Notre Dame. And then Towson, another just like awesome upset. But uh, really interesting how the bracket broke out, like in those two distinct uh, top and bottom halves. Yeah, and, and you know, once again, it's going to be um, the ACC. Uh, you know, has its haters in, in college lacrosse just because it's such a, a consolidation of power. Um, but you know, you look at how this laid out. I mean, Syracuse could have potentially had three or four. Um, you know, in, in this thing, even as is, you know, even from this round, if you just slotted North Carolina somewhere else, um, and, and you could have easily done so. Um, so I guess looking at just the, the matchup, Maryland plays a, a much different style than Syracuse. I, I think that that Maryland and, and Stalling have, have distanced themselves from each other a little bit. Um, Dan, do you, do you feel like Syracuse has the firepower to hang up Maryland since they seem like they can definitely score uh, more than maybe some previous years? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it'll take, like, a really great game from our guys, obviously. Uh, if they play, if they play the, the whole game like they did in the second half and you have Ben Williams start getting on a roll, obviously he had a very strange first half against Albany where he couldn't quite, he couldn't seem to get a face-off at all. Um, and then he came to, and, and you know, face-offs only mean so much, but it's nice. I'd rather have them than not. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it'll take closer, like, an A game for Syracuse to really... Uh, threaten here, but I, I I don't think the gap is probably as big as as uh, you'd think between a, an eight seed and a one seed, just because you know Syracuse was probably a little underseeded, and it's it's still Syracuse. They're still uh, always going to be one of the, probably the three or four most talented teams in the country. So um, I think Maryland's a very fair favorite, but uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it because uh, it just you know it should be a really nice game and. Uh, you can't get, I don't think, too crazily upset if they do lose it, uh, which often is the case in March, or not, not March, May. <laughs> well, no, March too, to be honest. If you, <laughs> I think. I mean, yeah, still still applies. Yeah, I, I think that, that the one thing you can count on with Syracuse fans is that once we're in the postseason, uh, whatever previous uh, notions of what we were going to do are gone, and the only um, goal and, and acceptable outcome is winning a championship. Um, although, at the same time, I would say... Uh, that's not the case in April, where uh, Syracuse was about as chill as you could possibly be, um, coming off a loss um, to North Carolina in the Final Four. I, I can't really say I saw many tears or sadness or anger or anything like that. Um, there are a couple people despondent, my buddy Scott included, um, but by and large, um, even myself, who, who would not pass off as the most rational Syracuse fan around, 
Um, I, I, I was pretty zen, not going to lie. I, uh, I, was, I was at ease with it well before it happened and, and, and well after it ended. Just straight gravy to the veins. Of <laughs> we didn't want to admit it, but we had a bad, bad gravy problem. Honestly, if I, uh, if I had better reception in, in the uh, in NRG Stadium, I, uh, I definitely would have tweeted my traditional uh, Crowther's drinking gravy uh, image just for the hell of it. Never, never try to do anything with the uh, the Wi-Fi inside of a Final Four event, as I learned in 2013. Although 2014, it wasn't bad. I uh, at Lucas Oil, I actually had uh, pretty good reception for for most of the time. Um, the fact that I was, although I will say too, like by, I think it was much better um, during the championship game. I was actually able to uh, to tweet like utter nonsense uh, after the uh, the final shot um, from Villanova, which uh, which I couldn't do anything uh, for much of the uh, both uh, semifinal games um, on that on that Saturday. Yeah, that's what happens when you uh, lose Syracuse fans. We obviously were gobbling up all of the all of the internet. <laughs> all right, I think that'll uh, I think that'll do it for us. Uh, Dan, always appreciate you hanging out and talking about Syracuse. We actually managed to do it for most of the time this year. Yeah, no, it's uh, we actually had things to talk about, which is uh, just crazy confluence of events this week. <laughs> I don't think we'll. It probably won't be as on point. We'll get into those two lane jerseys next week, everyone. So you can you can tune in. Don't be mad at us that we didn't talk about. Wait with bated breath. Um, yeah, thanks everybody for uh, for tuning in, and thanks Dan for hanging out as always. Yes, thank you for having me. Of course, uh, everybody, you've been listening to Troy Noons, an absolute podcast. You can be sure to rate, review, subscribe over on Blog Talk or on iTunes, and uh, go Orange this weekend. Beat the Terps. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing a car that's got style and substance to spare. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Featuring a sophisticated, muscular new exterior and available options like a premium JBL audio system and panoramic roof. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Toyota. Let's go places. JBL and Clarifier, registered trademarks of Harman International Industries Incorporated.